Welcome to Becoming Church, the podcast where we discuss how the message and movement of Jesus is not just about becoming Christians, but about becoming the church. I'm your host, Kristen Mockler-Young, and I'm so glad you are joining the conversation. Welcome back. This is Kristen, and my guest today is Meredith Ann Miller. She is a pastor and a podcaster, but most importantly for our conversation, she has 20 years of ministry and curriculum experience. Meredith worked for Willow Creek Church, and she and her husband now pastor their own church strictly on Zoom. Now, I will tell you, we had a couple of sound issues in our conversations today, but we did the best to edit them out. And I am asking you to stick with it because I am telling you, if you've ever felt like you needed a seminary degree to talk to children, either your own children or children within the ministry of your own church, Meredith will make it all practical and easy for us. She gives us all kinds of practicalities to make the Bible relatable. And listen, while she is directing it towards children, I will tell you, there's a lot of things that I applied in my own life when looking at the Bible as well. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. All right, guys, I am back with my guest today, Meredith Miller. I want to call you Meredith Ann Miller because that's how I know you on Instagram. (laughs) There is a, apparently Meredith Miller, who's a cyclist. And I think, I don't know, there's some, there's somebody else. It was not like an intentional, like neat author thing. It was like the only handle available with my name. (laughs) No, I get it. As Kristen Young, I'm like, I can be Kristen Young, Kristen Young two, nope taken, Kristen Young three, nope taken. I'm like, the maiden name is just here to stay. (laughs) So Meredith, tell our listeners a little bit about you. I follow you for parenting and all kinds of things related to my kids, which we will get into. I did not realize that you were also a pastor. I am. I am the lead pastor of Pomona Valley Church, um, which is a very small church that is, of course, now on Zoom, like many are. Um, we started in like the fall of 2019. So we had like six months um, to kind of get like going. And then, you know, everything stopped going. Oh, you didn't start so, on Zoom. No, we were a backyard dinner church. And then, you know, that wasn't healthy anymore. <laughs> so, okay. You be on Zoom. <laughs> And then sharing food in the time of COVID. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, All of that. We're like, you don't all want to pile into our house to like have a meal in close proximity. Um, Yeah. So of course we moved, um, like everyone did, but we were so young and so small and still are like, we're just tiny. And as we did that, then some friends that were in South Africa, but live in Peru, but got routed to the States for their pandemic get joining. But then in the midst of that, they get to go home. And so now they're in Peru and it's like, well, we can get off zoom, but like, why? Like we had a kid who's yeah. in our area, but now he's going to grad school in Italy. And so it's like, well, we can stay on zoom and then it's dinner time in Italy. Like, so we just kind of stuck with it. Um, that is and- so cool. Yeah. I looked at your website and I was like church strictly on zoom. You know what though? I almost feel like these smaller groups are the way that maybe church is going. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the strange thing is like, I don't know that, um, I feel like we're great, like risk takers or early adopters. <laughs> like that's not yeah. the bias, um, of my husband and I, he's also a pastor. We met in seminary. Um, and yet part of what it happened is because we were like also a church plant, we didn't have a building or a contract or a bunch of sound equipment we bought or any of that stuff. And our church fundamentally is interactive. So we don't do the like long music set, long sermon we, we don't particularly have music. We only do 15 minute sermons. That's like our max time. We do like interactive response stuff every week. So like, we're kind of already throwing a lot of the format in the air, um, because we're in a context where a lot of people, like if people aren't at church on Sunday, it's not because they didn't know that was an option for their time. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's because brunch sounds better. Um, right. And so we've already been kind of experimenting with a bunch of that stuff as it is. And so being on zoom as like what we are is just like, I don't know, that's one more thing we can mess. We can mess with that too. See what comes of it. It's so cool. Well, and like you said, it really does allow you to be church outside of just your town or your city or your community, but you've got people from all over the place that can join you now. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's obviously the most obvious logistical thing. But also for us, like Zoom works great for being all this interactive stuff, right? Like people pop in and you're chatting and we can 
like go from sermons straight into response discussions. And we do virtual brunch every week where everyone's kind of in smaller spaces to connect and can kind of like in real time know how people are doing. And um, so all of that has just been really lovely. And then those, for those of us who are parenting, this is not a time where like group child care is available, right? And so right. everyone just kind of gets their kids set up to do that. what they can do. And, um, and that's kind of worked pretty well. And so- yeah. So are the kids mostly like just part of the service and part of what you guys are doing? Nope. The kids are mostly just watching cartoons in their various living rooms. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That has Honestly, meant we also, that's what we're doing here. Yeah, that's totally what we're doing. And so that's also meant we've had to like reimagine what we want to do for families because fundamentally we're not like the point of being a church is to equip people to follow Jesus in their regular lives. And so, so with families, it's the same thing where it's like, okay, what can we do that helps equip our families to follow Jesus in their regular lives? And that doesn't need to be synchronous um, with our Sunday morning experience. And so we've just been moving out into new places too. All right. So Meredith, I have to tell you, that's really why actually I like following you is because you make me not feel, I feel convicted, but not ashamed because <laughs> even as a pastor, I am like, I don't talk to my kids about Jesus. I don't talk to them about God. I don't feel like I include them in the conversations like I should. And so to hear that your church doesn't do that, like, oh, it makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> well, I'm like, so you even said the thing of like, like I should. And like, that's the reality. I think so many of us feel there is some sort of should about like yeah. Christian parenting that we've been sort of set up to believe we ought to be able to achieve. Right. And I think yeah. my first question is like, is that even realistic? And even mm -hmm. if it was realistic, is that actually the stuff that most helps kids get to know Jesus and like cultivate family faith? Because the yeah. should version usually is like, it's a lot of things you're supposed to do every day. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of things that are supposed to be like kind of long, you know, mm -hmm. like if you're supposed to have family devotions, they're also supposed to be like half an hour. Kids don't have half an hour attention spans, you know, and right. yet we've written all these devotions as if kids are going to sit at the dinner table for half an hour. And my kids right. don't <laughs> like to be at the dinner table, period. More meals than not are like on our living room rug. So like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a whole thing about this idea of should in the first place where I'm like, but why is that the thing we think is most going to help kids mm -hmm. like love and follow Jesus in the first place? And so we just keep trying to like force our families to fit this mold. Yep. And it's super unrealistic, but I also don't even know if it's effective. Well, and I will tell you, at least my personal experience, I feel like number one, and this is awful, but I feel like as I, after I became a pastor and like a church staffer, I talked to them less. And I think it's because I feel like I'm always talking about God and I'm always talking about Jesus. And I'm, and then I, I had to step back and go, oh, but I don't actually do it with them. Why do you think it is? that it's so hard for us to talk to our kids about this? Oh. oh, I think there's a bunch of reasons, right? I think that um, we often feel like we don't actually totally know what we want to share with them about God and faith. Mm -hmm. um, we might know what we had, and then we're trying to figure out if we still want that to be what we pass on. And yeah. so- at the highest level, I think that all of us have some version of sorting out our own faith and parenting, and they're happening mm -hmm. simultaneously in real time. Mm -hmm. And so that like pair of practices, I think can feel like a lot. Um, and so then I think it comes out in like really specific ways. Like, oh, I just don't know enough about the Bible because we yeah. think we have to sort of like be the one to teach them that stuff. I think that yeah. comes out in like, I just am not so sure what I believe anymore. Like I've got these great questions. They're really valuable questions, but they have no answers and they sort of feel like maybe my faith is falling apart. That's so fun. I don't want to like dump that on my kid. And so if there's some sort of like reimagining happening with core beliefs, then it's like, well, I don't even know how I invite my kid into faith conversations because what I'm actually doing in my own faith work is this like deep dive where everything's right. being swirled about. Um, so I think that's a huge part of it. And then I just think that whole dynamic you said of like, we don't do it because what we think we're supposed to do is so unrealistic that we're just like, oh, forget it. Right. Right. I wonder if you can help us like 
parents that are listening who are feeling these specific things, like, is there a specific thing you would say to a parent who feels unqualified or intimidated? Like, I just don't know the Bible enough. Like, what would you say to that parent? Okay. So that one specifically, then it's like, learn together because the whole part of the should is this myth that it's all informational. So the parents should have all the information and then they should be giving their kid information. But I actually don't know that it's as informational as we think it is anyway. It's a story that we're like living. Mm -hmm. And so there's something about knowing the story and that's true. It can still feel intimidating, but like also what you're trying to do is just enter that story together. So learn together. And so that is fine. If what that means is you find a children's Bible you like, and you're like, I didn't know the story either. Because the thing you actually need to do with your kid is open the conversation. Like, oh, look at that. Oh, that's neat. Oh, that's weird. You don't need answers. And so you don't need to wait on having information. Um, You can be learning the stories together. You can be learning answers to questions together. You can always stall your kid when they ask you something you don't know. And so I say like, stall, (laughs) just like affirm the question. That is a great question. We're gonna have to come back to that. Or, you know, stall by guessing. What do you think? And you guess a bit and then you push pause. <laughs> Throw it back on them. <laughs> I love uh-huh, that. Uh-huh. And then push pause and like go search for what mm-hmm. you think could be some helpful, like next things for your kid. You only really need like one or maybe two, like good nuggets of response to them. Cause yeah. that's all they can do anyway. And then you circle back. So you just stall yeah. search, circle back. And you don't need to have preloaded all of that. Bible knowledge or Christian doctrine knowledge or whatever it is we think we're supposed to know. You can learn with them. And I love that you said it's a story because that means that we're still connected to it. Like, yes, it was in the past and listen to all this stuff, but guess what? We're still living it out today. Like we're part of the story. We get to be part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the whole life that we're doing together is this idea that I know I'm living the story when I'm acting in alignment with the flow of the narrative arc, right? So it's knowing God with God's people, Israel, and what Jesus's mission is and how the first church is trying to figure that out together. And it's not about doing that in any sort of perfect way. It's just this idea of like, if this is the main plot, then the chapter I'm a part of, we should be on plot. (laughs) And that doesn't mean anything specific has to be just so it's just that I'm in, I'm in the right storyline. Yeah. And if, guess what, if the story is not over, then there won't be all the answers. And I think that helps make that connection too. Like we're still in it. So we're still in it. We're still figuring it out. What would you say to the parent who is reimagining or deconstructing maybe has questions themselves? Like, I don't even know what I believe anymore. And so how can I teach that to my children? What would you say then? In that case, I think you get to the essentials, like what's still feeling true. Um, and especially thinking about what's still feeling true about who God is. And so there's a lot of questions we might have about the Bible. And those are great questions, but again, because it's not about giving our kids a bunch of religious information, you're most of all wanting to introduce them to a person. So when you think about the Jesus, you know, like what, what are you still sure about as far as who God is and what they're like? And if that's like three things, then live in those three things with your kid for as long as you need. Like, if that's what you got, that's what you got. You know, I had a friend say like, I can pray the Lord's prayer with my kid. It's the only one that doesn't make me mad right now. No, (laughs) then Then do it do that one. You don't need to be worrying about also praying Psalm 23 or also praying spontaneous prayers. Like that's the one that you can go to that says, that's like feeling like I can do this. These are words Jesus gave me and I can enter in. And so just get as narrow as you need to get on the things that you're like, no, I still know this is true about God and be there with your kid. Because I do think on the other hand, there is a myth that, um, that kind of waiting is neutral, but there is a reality that whatever's happening in our family is forming our kids. And so as much as I think we could wish that we could just wait for all of that to smooth out, it's probably helpful if we could start even before we feel totally ready and give our kid that chance for themselves 
um, because our waiting is still saying something to them about God and life and faith. And they are filling in the blanks about what, to this point of like, what story am I living? We're answering that with our family life, no matter what. And so that's true. Giving them some things that you can give them invites them into being able to answer that really big question, you know, with you and not be sort of like blocked out of it. Yeah. And I think it's okay too, for our kids to know that we have questions. Like you, you said earlier, we don't have to have all the answers. And if we ourselves are wrestling or we're asking questions, I think it also still shows them, Hey, God is a God who's okay with that. Like he doesn't expect me to know everything. He doesn't expect, you know, to know everything. It almost gives them permission and a freedom yeah. to ask and have questions themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that kids seeing that our faith can hold up to questioning is so huge and kids seeing that beliefs change and how they change. Like that is mm-hmm. also just a, it's like, they're both faith building skills because at some point kids grow into adolescence and late adolescence, and they start having bigger, deeper, more complex questions. And if all they've ever been given up until that point is answers, Mm-hmm. then once their questions come, it will freak them out. Right. And if instead all along, they've been in a community that carries questions, including their own family, then their own questions don't need to be feared. And so I think we often want to like hold our questions back from our kids. And some of them, maybe, I think we have some wisdom, some discernment about age accessibility, but fundamentally the idea of a parent being like, I don't know, or I wonder that too, or I used to think this, and now I don't know what I think anymore. Those are things that are like hurting our kids' faith to share. Right. And I think it teaches them to, I think a lot of people, and maybe I'm wrong, I'll speak at least for myself, some people I know, but I think that a lot of people who are deconstructing or struggling right now, or whatever you want to call it, maybe grew up in the era of at least for me, you don't ask questions. Like it just is because the Bible said, so God said, so mom and dad said, so Sunday school teacher said, so church said, so, and so for those of us who grew up with everything handed to us, here's the answer. Here's the why here's exactly what this means. Then when we started to wrestle through and ask questions, it was really uncomfortable. And not only that, it was really scary because it's like, if everything is foundational and everything is certain and sure, And now all of a sudden it's not this because I don't know how to think about this. Yep. Yeah. It's a lot like, um, education philosophy, right? That like teachers will talk all the time about how, what you're trying to do for students is not teach them what to think. It's teach them how to think. Yeah. How to ask good questions, how to search out answers, how to have a hypothesis, but you test it. Like that's all about how you think. And we had a wave, especially with, um, like Christian education for young people that didn't want to do that version that felt really scary, felt like we weren't equipping people. And so you just can look at like the curriculum that was coming out and it was very much oriented towards giving kids answers. And Mm -hmm. the assumption was, if this is the truth with a capital T we're serving kids by giving them that. And it will, to your point, like be a foundation that's just so firm for them that will keep, you know, them secure. And there's still like plenty of pockets where that is their strategy with young people. That's really what they think. They look at our complex world and I think you just double down on that. Um, And I think there's just a lot of other conversations happening, not only about how kids learn, but about how faith is formed. It just says like, that is not going to help them if your goal is like long haul, you want them to stay interested and engaged in what it looks like for them to follow Jesus. Like that giving them all those answers is not actually as helpful as it seems. Yeah. And it's not that we're not giving them truth. I think that you've talked before about kind of giving kids what they can handle. So like, even if it's a Bible story, like at age three, they get this or eight, they get this. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think that part of, um, part of what's important is that we tell kids something true at their Mm -hmm. level that we can build on later. And so sometimes what you see with this answer mentality is that the true thing gets given to kids too young. It's not that it's not real. It's that, oh, that idea is for a high school kid whose brain is more developed. And you can tell a sixth grader that and they'll memorize it because you told them to, but they don't understand it yet. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be patient with the truth being something that is age accessible and age appropriate. And then you know you're going to layer on it later. And so again, to our teacher friends that are so helpful. It was an educator who talked about spiral learning 
I'm like mm-hmm. making my hand go in a circle. This is an auditory thing. So I should yeah. <laughs> Yes. that um, the basic concept is that teachers do this on purpose. They go around an idea and they do one piece at a time, but they repeat it over and over again. And every time they take another turn around the idea, they add on some complexity. And so instead of spending a month on a concept and breaking it up every single day until it becomes a giant thing, they do that little bit of that concept in a week and then they don't even touch it for several days and then they come back around. I think there's a parallel version of spiral learning for how we do like scripture stuff where you'd say, here's this Bible story and here's a true thing about God. And then the next time you cover that story, you'd say something else about God. And it could also continue where you take that attribute of God that you've noticed and you go into deeper spaces with that, where you bring up more complexity with that. Um, But we sometimes think we're supposed to do it all at once. And then one, I mean, on a practical level, if you try to do it all at once, your kids will get bored and you will talk too much. Yes. And they will forget. They will forget. They will forget the story. Yeah. It's I, you said, I don't know if you even noticed that you said this word, but you said patient. And I was like, I'm writing this down because that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of times as parents, we go, we have to teach our kids about Adam and Eve. Check, check. Next. They know about Noah and the flood. Check, check. Done. Yeah. Joseph and his coat. Check. Next story. Yeah. And I'm like, no wonder sometimes kids grow up or even adults grow up. Like, I didn't remember this story in the Bible because our Sunday school teachers went, okay, they learned this in third grade and then never again talk about it Yes, because we've covered it. Yep. Yeah. We do one and done. And yes, we think it's like one shot at each story and then we're all through. And I mean, like when I was writing curriculum, because that is part of my background mm-hmm. from um, age four to first grade. So we had four years and obviously not every kid is going every Sunday, blah, blah, blah. Sure. But, um, but even that is like folded into how we approach this. We did like a basic Genesis to Revelation-ish kind of big story structure to how we did the year. And so for four years in a row, kids who were part of our church community are doing the whole story. But every time we did another pass through, we did a different small piece of having like mark that same moment. So four different pieces of the Exodus, four different pieces of God inviting Abraham, four different pieces of what it was like in the wilderness. So here's that big marker of the wilderness. Here's four different stories that help remind you about what that was. So we're circling around on purpose in this age when they're so, you know, story retentive anyway. It's just like adults, you know, as adults, we're constantly preaching and teaching and saying, read the Bible again. It's living. God's going to keep speaking to you read the same story. He's going to tell you something today. He's going to tell you something different next month, next year. But then with kids, we're like one time you got it. You got it. Like, wait till you're a grown up, and then you can learn what it means for real, you know? Totally. Yeah. And we give kids like a bajillion stories, but like maybe the list of kids stories, need, like they just need less stories more times so that they can like unpack it oh, so versus it's like, well, let's see, there's 52 Sundays in a year. And so we can cover, well, we need at least a couple bonus weeks for Christmas and Easter, but otherwise right. <laughs> like 48 unique Bible story. Like, I mean, even preschool age from a church perspective, we used to do the same story three weeks in a row for our two and three-year-olds. And they only did 15 stories a year for preschool yeah. because that age is happy to be in repetition. They love being the masters of a story. They love being able to anticipate what comes next. Mm-hmm. We're the ones who get bored, <laughs> we, but they don't. Right. And developmentally, that's all their little brains can handle. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the thing is this idea of one truth at their level that you can build on later, because you, if you try to get it all in there, it just goes sideways in like a bunch of different ways. Yeah. All right. So we talked about some ways that we've tried to fit this in, like at dinner or, you know, at bed that don't seem to work. Can you give us some practicals, maybe broken down by like age bracket? I'm not sure exactly of ways that we can work this in. We can have conversations with our kids at home that doesn't feel like we're adding to our already overwhelmed to-do list. Yes. So I think that to this idea of age breakdown, one of the reasons that is relevant is that it often is then connected to like the way our rhythm as a family feels. 
under five is going to feel a certain way as far as how our family makes our way through the day, through the week, than it is once our kids are grade school, than it is once they are moving into early adolescence and junior high age. And so part of age is about then saying, okay, what is our normal life feeling like right now? What's the pace? What's the schedule? What's the calendar? Like really practically speaking and starting from that season to say, what does that mean could work for us? And I think that part of that is being um, like from the get-go, don't be expecting for that to be daily necessarily, or even every week on the same day necessarily. We like default to looking for the structure, but I think instead we want to start with our season. Oh, that's so good. That gives, I think that's going to give people so much freedom. It does for me, at least I'm like, permission to not feel like I'm failing. If I don't do it every Wednesday night at 6 PM. Exactly. Exactly. Cause there's no magic in it being on a certain structure. Yeah. The, the ultimate idea is we want to be a family that's following Jesus. And that's way more about our regular life, not only in our home, but with one another, like just in the same way to the point of like being church is way more about how we show up for one another and bring justice to the world than it is about getting to the building at the time slot when our group happens together. Yeah, and yeah. so family parallels that, that you want to be a family following Jesus together. And so what you're looking for is just meaningful ways that that would play out for your family, like based on who, so season's the first thing. The next thing is like family personality. Mm-hmm. Like, what are y'all like? If you are not cozy reader types, stop trying to do devotionals. <laughs> Don't do that. If you are like zany, woo, love to do things, then instead decide that every month or two, you are going to go to the dollar store and buy a bunch of fun things for your kids' friends and turn them into little gift packages and porch drop them and talk about God's love spilling over to your neighbors and make it a super fun thing that you get to put together. And that's actually the thing you're doing that like puts faith and love in action for your kids in a way that is part of their world. Like get out and do something fun. Um, similarly, if you have, and they'll remember that more, Yeah, they'll remember doing something and actually, I was going to say acting it out, but living it out versus, oh, we had to sit down and listen to that boring story again. (laughs) Again, because it's not informational. We, we keep thinking that what kids most need is informational, but it's, it's experiential. They need experiences of faith lived out so that they can keep practicing it and figure out how it sounds and feels and looks and all of those things. And so some of that is conversation, but not all of it. Yeah. And it's not actually like the main thing. Um, and so I think being aware of your family's personality and your kid's personality to figure out what that might look like. So, okay. So super practical, for example, mm-hmm. we'd love to pray more, be great to talk to God more. Cool. Maybe You pray for them before bed, whether or not they want to pray along, it does not have to be long. Maybe that's the first thing is like, I can do this as I put them to bed, but I don't need to also worry that they do or don't want to talk. I'm not going to try to teach them to pray. I'm just going to model that. I want to pray for them before I send them to bed. Maybe prayer is in the car. When you pass an accident, you just say out loud, Hey God, we just want to pray for whoever's involved in that that, you know, they would feel your peace and that they see a lot of one sentence prayers offered. Your kid tells you something about something hard at school and you say, Hey, can I pray about that? Is that all right with you? And you do the real short, Hey God, thanks that you see this and you care about this. And so we ask that you would help. Um, so it could be that your prayer model is to actually say the words out loud, right in the moment that they come up for just a sentence or two, that that's actually your family's prayer. Um, And it shows them that is an actual legitimate way to pray. You don't have to be on your knees with your eyes closed at the foot of your bed with your hands together, you know, once a day. Yes. Every day. Right. (laughs) Yes. We can actually talk to God all the time when we're driving, when we're awake, when we're not cranky and needing to just, you know, get in the bed. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then I think being mindful of the idea that like, Okay, it doesn't just need to be prayer and Bible, which I think is also part of our should model, right? Like it's just yes. prayer and Bible. But yes. like also exploring nature and delighting in God's creation. And it's like a one sentence connection to just be like, I 
I'm just so thrilled that God would give us such a beautiful world. Mm. And it does not need to be a full, expansive reflection on Genesis one and all that God brought into the world. You can just say the words in a sentence and maybe your kid will have more thoughts and maybe they won't. Um, but being out in creation and then just connecting to your kid that that came from a loving God who made that for us to enjoy, um, justice and service stuff which can take all sorts of forms for your family. But it's like, how are we loving our neighbor? And what does that look like to be making the world more right? Um, and all of those kinds of things often do happen a lot less frequently than daily or weekly. You know, you might really only be able to coordinate an opportunity for your kid to experience being part of bringing justice once or twice a year. A lot of places don't necessarily have minors or you really wanna meet an actual need. And so the projects available where you can pitch in might be limited. But that is still a meaningful, intentional part of your family rhythm that recognizes that the season you're in is young kids. The ways they can be part of justice will be limited by their age. But the yeah. value of we want to reflect God's justice as a family, because what we're doing most of all is following Jesus together, means you put it into your broader family rhythm. So that's the thing I think is you think about season, you think about personality, and then you think about practices. And yes, prayer and Bible, but also there's all these other practices that might fit the season and the personality of your family, like so much more. Yeah. And then instead of it being like, and on one hand, I'm like, oh, now we're going to do it all the time, but it's actually simpler that way. It really is though. Cause it's not, I have to do all the things all the time. It's just being aware that in every moment, in everything you're already doing, the conversations you're already having just work in God, work in Jesus, just kind of point what we're doing back to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's, I think part of it is looking at your ordinary day. Like if you had no idea where to start, I would say like literally make a note about what your typical day is like, and then look for like one spot where you're like, oh, I could do, I could do something right there. So car rides, a lot of kids are just, they have more questions on the car ride. Mm -hmm. So it could be that you're just working those conversations in there. Could be that you decide to bring in a playlist because it'd be fun to have some super fun worship music going in the car. Yeah. It could be that you're like, you know what? I pack lunch every day. I could start blessing my kid by remembering to do a lunchbox note that affirms who God has made them to be. And awesome. so like our family has the mantra, you are a gift and enjoy and just who God made you to be. Oh. And it's just that like, I could bless them because I'm going to say goodbye to them every day already. So I'm going right. to say something to them before they walk away from me. Yeah. And so if I can just have a little courage to make that thing about how God sees them and not just, I love you. Cause that's so much easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that would be the place to start is literally list your day and look for like, okay, where, where could I actually in my real life try something? I love the family mantra too, that you, because I think, especially as kids get older, sometimes parents don't want to embarrass them. And so like when you very first said lunchbox, I was like, oh, are we writing scriptures and like tucking scriptures into their lunchboxes? Is that the way you could, but also you don't have to. And this, if you have a teen or preteen, I would suggest maybe you don't do that, but like something that reflects the character and the heart of God that says, Hey, as a family, this is who we are. This is how he sees you. This is how I see you is still doing the same things for our kids, but maybe won't embarrass them if, you know, right. somebody gets a glimpse of their lunchbox note. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So Bible and prayer, we know are, those are the big ones. I love all of the practicals that you just gave us for working this into other places in our day. When it does come to tools, mm -hmm. Bibles, Bible studies, um, are there any particular things that you look for, or you would say avoid. Okay. Um, <laughs> real life in yes. real life. I don't, I don't use any, I don't use any children's Bible. Okay. I don't use any devotional tools with my kids. I don't Now, I'm not saying somebody else should or shouldn't. Sure. It's not that, but, um, I found it got very overwhelming and it got very expensive and it was really hard to sort out the theological particulars in all these various resources, because especially for kids, 
and I'd say this is true all the time, but you notice it, especially with kids, all of the stuff we're going to offer them to help them understand the Bible is interpreted. You have to, the Bible's not a children's book. So someone needs to interpret it for a kid. And a lot of folks do that well. And a lot of resources don't. Correct. And so I, I found myself getting so overwhelmed trying to mine through it all as a person with um, an MDiv from a seminary who spent 20 years writing children's curriculum. Wow. Yeah. And I was just like, nope, I quit. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> <laughs> Which now means sadly, so many people ask me for resources and I never have an answer. <laughs> You're like, I'm sorry. I did not see your message. <laughs> no. But here's what I can say in light of that, in light of the not using any, when, if you decide to use them, you might not need as many as you think, like find one or two. You don't need like an entire bookshelf. Um, so you don't feel like you have to, yeah, just keep digging and digging and digging. Um, I think being mindful of how any resource talks about, um, well, especially how they're going to talk about sin and Jesus's mission. Mm-hmm. That's probably the two biggest things that you'll be able to tell pretty quickly. Like if you're trying to cut through the overwhelm and figure out where this yeah. interpreter is coming from, think about how they talk about sin and how they talk about Jesus's mission. Um, because if they're going to talk about sin as God is far away from you, um, all sin has to be punished. Um, God, most of all, wants you to be obedient I have a hunch you're not going to find that resource to be maybe as valuable as something that's going to talk about all the other biblical images for what has gone wrong and what God is up to. And similarly, if Jesus has come to take the punishment and to, you know, whatever other kinds of language they use, there's a lot of other things happening in Jesus's mission about being God in a body and showing what God is like that, um, that you can then find that the stories will be interpreted in light of that. And so that's what I would most quickly look to. It's like, what are they doing with those, with those themes? Um, so that it feels like language that you're like, yeah, that's good. This is one way we talk about that. I would say too, even as I go through kind of my own faith and evolve in what I believe there are storybook Bibles or Bibles that I've had for my kids that maybe I loved when they were little. And like you said, as they evolve now, even I'll read the story and catch it and go, actually, I think this, or maybe this. And so if people don't know what resource to use, I think there's also freedom for that too. You don't have to necessarily just read hundred percent the words that are on the page and leave it at that. Yeah. You can kind of edit as you go. Right. And again, like thinking about what your kid actually likes when you're looking for resources. So if your kid doesn't like to sit with a pen and paper, don't try to find them a kid devotion, like figure out other practices that fit who your kid is. Um, yeah. and so maybe they just want a blank piece of paper and you lay out the colors and you take a Bible story from like the new living translation is way helpful for kids. Mm-hmm. It's just the style of the language works. So you could grab a story from Bible gateway in the new living translation. And you could literally like even edit that down for length. Yeah. And just let that be your guide. And you just say like, Hey, I'd love to tell a story you draw while I tell you, we're just going to be here for five minutes and just be the storyteller. And you don't have to get that perfectly. Yeah. Um, but it's okay to leave sentences out that are confusing. It's okay to mm-hmm. skip parts that they're not ready for. Um, and it's okay for them to not necessarily be doing some sort of official thing as like their part in that. They could just be listening along and jumping in and interrupting. And so um, I think we've made it too hard sometimes. Yeah. Thinking that it has to I be for sure think that. so much stuff. Yeah. And then we just keep wondering, like, and why guess you- what? We're going to circle back. So if that time doesn't go well, right. we're going to hit it again. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Do you have a favorite thing you've seen? You have two boys. Is that right? I do. Yeah. Do you have a favorite thing that you've seen with them just as you've kind of lived this out in your own life and maybe like a aha or a light bulb moment? Yeah. Um, my kids hundred percent do best talking about faith things in the car. 
that is, I know shared okay. for lots of families, but I think, um, in the last couple of years, that's been pretty clear, like keeping the car space available has been our best shot for how we actually have faith conversations in our real life. Um, so when I think about like season and rhythm, it's not on the calendar in any sort of way, but it is built in insofar as like, we don't, um, listen to very much in the car. We tend to like have kind of a quiet car and then the stuff that just like bubbles up. And so some weeks I feel like we have like five or six faith conversations and then we'll go two or three weeks and nothing will come up. But the practice has been like car times when they're at their best. If they want to ask me something about God or the Bible, it will be when they're in the car. So we're just going to keep the car open. Um, so that has been kind of fun to realize that like, I always worried about frequency. I'm like, there are so many weeks that we're doing like nothing. Like when did yeah. I talk about the Bible with them? I feel like maybe I did that this month. But in, once I figured out like, oh, they're car kids, then it's like, oh, okay. I've created the space that matches who they are and matches how our family rhythm goes, which is this little, like when we're on the road together kind of space. So that's become like a favorite for us. The other one that's kind of a surprising one. I'm a little dorky. We have um, two churches in town that have labyrinths outside, like on okay. their property. Okay. Right. So if someone's not familiar with the labyrinth, it kind of looks like a maze only there's no dead ends or wrong ways. It's just a big loop that kind of winds around and it gives you a path to walk to a center and then you walk back out. So we have two churches that have these outdoor ones that are available to the community. My kids love a labyrinth. Really? They love it because it looks like a maze and you can run all over it and like, yeah. <laughs> And so every now and again, and again, we did this a lot more when things were more closed and we now probably do it every other month or so every now and again, when we need to get out of the house and just like get the wiggles out, we go to a labyrinth and they run all over the place. And eventually they're kind of like winding down. And this is my actual way we do faith stuff. I tell them a Bible story in five minutes or less. So short. And then we do the labyrinth. And so based on whatever story we did, I say, Hey, part of the labyrinth is to just help us figure out how we could talk to God. So in that story, the people felt really afraid. Why don't we talk to God about stuff that makes us scared sometimes? And so we walk the labyrinth and just say stuff out loud and we get to the middle and we pretend we're giving all those things to God at the middle. And then I say, okay, so if we're practicing that we trust, even when we're afraid, maybe on the way out, we say favorite things about God, because that's why we can trust God. And so on the way out, we say that you're with us, that you're kind, that, you know, nothing we do is too bad. And again, unless you think this is spiritual, they might each only say one thing mm-hmm. for each of these prompts. And I'm just talking, otherwise we're walking and talking, yeah. they're kicking the dirt, but they like it. They like it and it's fun and it's pretty and it's outside. Um, and so we're experimenting with that. And I think the point is not, so now you all should go find a way to get your kids to try a labyrinth. The point is like, (laughs) there's all sorts of ways and times your kids might be interested in hearing a Bible story and responding to God. And there's not a right shape for that to take like at all. Yeah. And take off the pressure. It's not, it's not what it is with the thing. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. Like it's not going to be the same. There's not a specific thing you have to do. It's not as hard as you think. Just take a breath and see what comes out. I love that. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to ask one more question. Um, I put on Instagram this morning. I told people that I was going to be interviewing you and I was like, Hey, what questions do you have for Meredith? And this was my favorite one. So I'm going to give you this one because I was like, Ooh, I want to know the answer to this too. (laughs) What about grandparents? Like, I know there are a lot of people, a lot of us who maybe grew up, you're already laughing, grew up already being taught a specific thing about God or Jesus or faith or the church. And now that we are parents, we were like, cool, get that you are doing the best you could, but we're not actually going to teach our kids that. Yeah. So when we go a different direction, but grandparents then try to teach our children that thing, help. (laughs) Oh, um, yeah. So, uh, my mom met a neighbor a couple of weeks ago and that neighbor is a grandparent who does a lot of the caregiving for their grandchild while the kids are 
the grown adult kids are making work work. And the grandparent, for some reason or another, had cause to relay the story to my mom about telling her grandchild that not picking up her toys makes Jesus sad. Oh, God. <laughs> so like that, that's the kind of thing like to try and maybe, yeah. Yes, that's exactly, that's a perfect example. Yes. Oh, man. Okay. And there's like layers of whether or not your family's allowed to talk about this, or if the rules of your family is that it's all unspeakable and we're all just supposed to keep on keeping on and, you know, all of that. So it takes courage and those broader dynamics about whether or not hard topics are available for your family will absolutely come into play. And so that's just true on the front end. Um, I think that being able to express gratitude, if you can, for what you were given. Mm-hmm. Um, at if it's possible to be grateful at least for the heart behind what you were given, if not the actual substance of it, yeah. that this person loved God and wanted you to know God and did what they could to help you have that opportunity. And so to be able to express whatever you authentically can about that to them, um, I think. Being able to share what you can about your family's vision for how you're following Jesus together to say, one of the great things you gave me was that I still want to do this now. Mm -hmm. I still want my life to be shaped by the love of God. And I want my kids growing up knowing not only that they are dearly loved by God, but that God loves this world. So we're going to live connected to this world. And so- you know, we've been talking about what that's going to look like for us. And we're really excited about A, B, and C things that match your family's faith vision for how that's going to look. And then I think you can say something in the fact of, uh, I know that that might look different than even the way I had it as a kid. And it's not because that was wrong or bad but we do really want to try it this other way on purpose. And so it can feel really tricky, but we would really feel helped if you wouldn't mind lining up with a B and C thing and kind of pushing pause on. And then you might need to be giving examples, like saying that not putting your toys away makes baby Jesus sad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But if they know what you're going towards, you're inviting them to enter into your family on your terms. And so if you can think about your family's faith vision of like, here's what we really hope marks our family and a couple of ways that that's going to play out for how you do it, then they, you're inviting them to back you and they know what to do instead. And sometimes our parents, our in-laws, our grandparents, part of the, the thing is just like us, they don't know what to do instead. Yeah. And so if you can help them know what to do instead, And that's where going back to the resources can be overwhelming thing, but maybe that is the right time to buy a book or a children's Bible that you are comfortable with and say, can this be the one you guys use? Yeah. Um, Can this be, you know, can this be the thing you do? So I love Rachel Held Evans. What is God like book? I think that is just a delightful exploration of God's character. Beautiful. Buy them a copy. Hey, we know this matters to you. I know we do this differently, maybe than every way you guys would do it. Um, but we really appreciate that you care about our kids' faith and we really want you to be a voice in their faith story. Like here's a great book that we're really enjoying. It brings out really neat things every time our kids read it or whatever is true, you know? Yeah. So I know all that's a little more work than like, can it magically fix, (laughs) but it can't, right. It can't magically fix. So, and then I would just say two parents where the, your parents or your in-laws complicate things on the other hand. And there's a range within this. So, sure. you know, um, there's a lot of research about how kids need to be surrounded by multiple people who are going to echo what this faith is about. Um, I mean, some will say like you need five adults sending a kid the same positive message if you hope that message is going to stick. Hmm. So if a kid is lucky enough to have two parents who are invested in the same message about what God says about your identity and your belonging and your purpose, then awesome. You still need three more. Yeah. 
and maybe you're in a situation where you're lucky enough to have aunts and uncles that are part of that or maybe you've got grandparents that can be part of that and it doesn't mean those people have to do it exactly like you they just need mm-hmm. to be in the ballpark to be around your kid in that way and so that would be a question you could think through is like are they so far afield from the way we'd like to follow Jesus that they can't be on this team or are they in the ballpark? And part of what we can see is that it doesn't have to be just like us to still actually be adding something that my kid needs that I can't provide, which is more people than just me, right. You know, in their, in their life. And not everyone has that version, certainly. Um, but that can also be a helpful reframe for us of like, even if we're doing it stellar, which, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not (laughs) the best we can, right. (laughs) You still need more. You need more people. So when I would think like at the worst comes to worst, right. You have grandparents that don't agree and they're like, but this is the way and your truth is not truth. I think if nothing else, and again, age appropriate, it does show our kids, Hey, on this faith journey, like people are going to hear from God different ways. They're going to interpret things different ways. And it can really open up into, this is what we think this is what grandma and grandpa think. This is what, you know, whoever thinks and kind of lend them to, what do you think about this? Like, how are you interpreting it? Or how are you hearing from God? And does this line up with what you know about the character of God to be? Yep. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's the place where you come back to, Hey, lots of people who love Jesus think differently about this. And that even can be our family sometimes. And so, you know, I tend to see it more like this and grandma tends to see it more like that. Um, and you know, we can, nothing changes about loving grandma, even as we disagree about this important, you know, which I think often kids get disoriented when adults, all these adults they care about suddenly don't see something the same way. And so, um, just in a very like real developmental way, being able to assure them that like we live in family connectedness, um, without having to have perfect belief alignment. Um, and you kiddo are okay to continue to just, you know, love and be loved by all of these adults. Um, even while we're working out these ideas, you know, in different sorts of ways. All of this has been so incredibly helpful. Thank you so much for your time. And if people want to continue to learn from you, where can they find you? I am primarily on Instagram. So like I said, Meredith Ann Miller with an E, um, mm-hmm. and then I send out a, I don't know, every six weeks ish. I send out a newsletter where I do a question that I've heard from a parent, a question I've heard from a kid and one Bible story breakdown um, of looking at like how you can explore a story. Um, so there's a little sign up in my bio that, that does that as well. Awesome. And they can get to that from Instagram. They can get that from Instagram or um, MeredithAnnMiller.com has a link to sign up for okay. that as well. If they're not social media people. Awesome. Well, Meredith, thank you so much. It was great to finally chat with you. And we just appreciate all the knowledge that you gave to us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. So fun.